the Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. It is the Anton Savage Show with you through until 12 o'clock. Between now and then, we're going to be joined by Kenny Jacobs, the CEO of the Dublin Airport Authority, because, of course, that issue of the expansion of Dublin Airport, or rather, the lifting of the planning cap that precludes Dublin Airport from expanding to the level that it would otherwise expand to because they've projected that this passenger numbers are going to go to X and if they uh, don't get a change in planning, they won't be allowed to have the passenger numbers expand to uh, X. We'll find out from Kenny Jacobs what X actually is. But ironically, a lot of the objection that has come in to the increase in the numbers comes from the very party which gives us the transport minister because the Green Party uh, is um, Eamon Ryan's party. He's the minister for transport and it is Greens who are largely objecting or who are among many of the objectors. Roderick O'Gorman, the children's minister, said residents in his Dublin West constituency will suffer an increase in noise if plans to sharply increase passenger numbers go ahead. And he said during a climate emergency, it is an act of folly to propose expanding airport numbers by 25%. And their MEP, Karen Cuff, went even further. He said, it's a bald-faced attempt to upend everything that we know is true about increasing the passenger cap. More planes will create emissions and more planes will make more noise. Those are the facts, plain and simple. Well, we'll get Kenny Jacobs from the DEA's reaction to that and his logic for why he believes uh, that increase is so necessary. We're also going to be talking to James Gay Reese. James Gay Reese is a documentary maker. He started producing documentaries with uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop, the Banksy documentary, and he then went on to produce some of the sort of the seminal documentaries that you find on Netflix. So the Senna, um, Amy, the Amy Winehouse story, uh, Oasis, the documentary into them, the, the huge success that was um, Formula One race to success. And most recently, he's been responsible for um, Six Nations Full Contact, which is streaming currently. So he's going to be joining us. We're going to be having a chat as well with Jason Byrne, who is going to be dropping by. If there is anything that you have that you would like to throw into the mix, you can fire us a text, 53106. Or if you don't feel like spending the 30 cents, you can get us on WhatsApp, 87 106 And we welcome any of your thoughts. To give you a sense of what's making the news today, Unsurprisingly, RTE is uh, there in in spades. The uh, Mail on Sunday has a front page picture of D Forbes. says, D Forbes' regret at her return to Ireland. And inside they say that she said to another board member, one assumes this was back when she was in RTE, but maybe not, that she regretted ever having come back to Ireland given that her previous career had been outside of the uh, state. There is also um, the Sunday Independent, and we'll talk about this with our, our newspaper panel, um, that being Conor Lenehan, former Minister for Science, Technology and Innovation, Francis Fitzgerald, Fine Gael, MEP, and Miriam Simon, business strategist. So uh, we'll talk to them about a lot of the, the matters in the papers, but one of them, Sunday Indo, has a big poll breaking down the nation thinks, you know, sort of their attitudes to a whole series of, of different things. One of them being a poll showing that two thirds say they are unsure of Bailey guilt. This, of course, is Ian Bailey and whether or not he was guilty for the murder of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. Now, there is one of those those odd paradoxes in the poll internally that sort of makes you despair about just people in general because it says two thirds, or rather a two to one margin of those who have a, a position say that Ian Bailey should have been brought to trial in Ireland. By a similar margin, two to one, people believe that he wouldn't have been found guilty. 
So I don't know what the point would have been of bringing him to trial if this was the case, but this is the view inside. There is, though, some very interesting stuff within the Sunday Indo in relation to Ireland's attitude to immigration. And some of the data that they have in terms of our attitude to immigration is, it's an interesting insight into how we feel about people joining our uh, nation. The other stuff, of course, that's, excuse me, the other stuff that's significant in all of the news today is um, Sinn Féin and the fact that for the first time ever, there is a nationalist first minister in Northern Ireland. Of course, for the first time in two years, there is now devolved government back in Northern Ireland. The Sunday Times puts it as Sinn Féin marches into the history books and they juxtapose that with a picture of Michelle O'Neill at Stormont striding across the main hall in Stormont Castle. Um, The Indo, we can build a better future, First Minister O'Neill. And in that piece in the Indo, there is a nice quote from the new Deputy First Minister, this being the DUP's um, Miss Little Pengali. Um, And she's quoted... This is Emma Little Bengali. She's quoted as saying that this is a historic moment for uh, many. But she goes on to say, Michelle is a proud Republican and I am a very proud unionist. We will never agree on those issues, but what we can agree on is that cancer doesn't discriminate and our hospitals need to be fixed. And I suspect for a lot of people in uh, the north of Ireland, there will be a question about right now, lads, now that you are back and we have a, a devolved government in the north, what are you actually going to achieve that makes a difference to the average punter? Well, with us is journalist Amanda Ferguson. Um, before we get to the answer to that question and, and what are the issues that actually now need to be addressed, in terms of logistics, Amanda, now that the First and Deputy First Ministers are sworn in, what of the allocations of the various other significant positions and portfolios? Yes, well, after the first ministers were appointed, uh, they were nominated by their parties um, into place. So there was no vote on that particular matter. Then the the various uh, executive ministers, uh, we went through the DeHaunt system of of allocation. Now, uh, Alliance has taken the justice ministry again, um, which had been expected in the leader, Naomi Long, and they're taking the agriculture uh, minister. And there was another historic first in that Andrew Muir, who's going to be the rural affairs, agriculture, environment minister, is the first uh, openly gay uh, member of uh, the the executive. So that's a, a, a representation for the LGBT community in a very um, high-profile way. Uh, then there ha- there was a little bit of a, a an issue yesterday, and we haven't got quite uh, to the to the detail of it yet. But it had been expected that uh, the DUP would nominate Gordon Lyons uh, for the finance portfolio. Uh, but whenever uh, the the DUP stood uh, to uh, pick, their first pick was the edge. Education department, uh, which had been expected perhaps to go to Kiva Archibald from Sinn Féin. So uh, Kiva has now found herself as the finance minister within Northern Ireland. Um, so uh, Sinn Féin is going to be in charge of economy as well uh, through um, through Conor Murphy. Uh, so it, there, uh, that's, that's business is taken care of. I think the actual meat of the matter will be at the start of this week when the public sector uh, trade union movement will want to know when their workers are going to get their pay allocation. I'd imagine that public sector pay will be the number one issue for the Assembly, particularly because the UK government linked the £3.3 billion uh, pound package uh, that it uh, negotiated with uh, MLAs 
to the restoration of Stormont. So those workers were protesting outside Stormont yesterday, not because uh, the institutions were getting back up and running. I think most people are relieved about that, but because they wanted to remind the the incoming crop of ministers that uh, their pay claim still needs to be resolved. And it's not clear whether the 600 million that's been allocated for public sector pay is actually going to be enough to cover uh, what's needed. So that'll be a big issue. And then next will be the health service. I think that uh, the fact that Robin Swan from the Ulster Unionist Party has returned to the health portfolio provides a certain level of continuity uh, in that role. That's a massive um, you know, task that he has on his hands. Most of the funding from the Stormont budget goes to the health department and there are calls to try and tackle all of the, the challenges within the health service, including the longest waiting lists with within the UK uh, and all the different transformation um, efforts that uh, have been sitting on uh, shelves gathering dust uh, while the health service essentially falls apart. Uh, On top of that, you'll have issues around infrastructure, education, policing, budget, all big ticket issues. Um, John O'Dowd from Sinn Féin is going to be the infrastructure uh, minister uh, and I imagine in the time ahead we'll probably hear more about uh, all island, north, south, uh, infrastructure projects to try and improve uh, the flow of people across the island as well. I mentioned earlier on that a, a lot of the, the headlines are talking about how momentous and significant the uh, return to power sharing is, particularly with a uh, nationalist first minister. I suspect that some of the reactions south of the border will be, uh, yeah, give it a week, we've seen these kind of momentous occasions before and it all then crumbles into the sands. Is there any reason for us to believe that this may be a more stable devolved government than those we've seen previously? Well, I think there's a few thing, a uh, few different issues that are at play. It's undoubtedly a an historic moment for Michelle O'Neill to take the top title uh, in the Northern State. Obviously, Northern Ireland was created uh, to try and ensure uh, a unionist majority in perpetuity. So, for the fact uh, that uh, an Irish Republican who's wedded to the idea of Irish unity is the figurehead um, in that in that jurisdiction in Northern Ireland is significant. Uh, the next thing that's significant is that Emma Little Pengelly, who is now the Deputy First Minister, that's the first time that unionists have held that uh, particular title uh, since the Good Friday Agreement. And an interesting uh, bit of information is that Emma Little Pengelly is a co-opted MLA. She didn't actually stand uh, for elections. She, she didn't receive any votes. Uh, but because of the, the rules and the system in place, her party is allowed uh, to nominate whoever they want to that role. So she's been elevated to the very top office very top political office in Northern Ireland without without having received a, a vote from the public to do so. The next thing, uh, which is uh, an historic uh, first, is that the executive office team, which is the two first ministers and the two junior ministers, are all now women. So that's Michelle O'Neill, Emma Little-Pengelly, you have Aisling Riley for Sinn Féin and Pam Cameron uh, for the DUP. So visually, uh, that's something that I'm sure little girls across uh, the North, Northern Ireland, depending on how you view uh, the, the jurisdiction that I live in, that will be something that's inspiring to them. So all of that is the procedural, uh, the optics, um, the the moments that are are being marked. But then on top of it, we do know that uh, the the Northern institutions have experienced a a certain level of dysfunction for their entirety. I think it's it's up to 50%. They've been collapsed um, over the course of of power sharing. Mandatory uh, coalition power sharing government isn't easy when you have political parties that are diametrically opposed on a whole range of issues. So I don't think that this is the dawn of a new era, but certainly 
uh, Michelle O'Neill and Emma Little-Pengelly both delivered very positive opening speeches about recognising difference, about wanting to uh, move on reconciliation, about whether you're nationalist, unionist, Republican, loyalist, whoever you are, um, it's in the benefit of the people within uh, the North, within Northern Ireland, for it to be prosperous and thriving and so on. And for the bigger picture, with unionists wanting to maintain the union with Britain and Republicans wanting to create a new Ireland, it serves both of their interests uh, to try and make uh, this uh, a decent place to live with a good standard of living. Amanda, thank you very much for your time this morning. That is journalist Amanda Ferguson there uh, reporting for us from uh, north of the border. 53106 at a cost of 30 cent if you want to get in touch with 87 106 Now we'll try to win you a kitchen. News Talks Weekend of Winning. I should have specified we have a kitchen to give away. It wasn't that at random I suggested we try to win you a kitchen. We have a kitchen thanks to uh, tilestyle.ie. Porcelain and Osa, leading global kitchen and tile brand. They're focused on quality, innovation and sustainability. Tile Style will supply a design team to help you design the kitchen to choose from a contemporary range of colours, finishes and stunning worktops. If you want to be in with a chance of winning this, it's worth 20 grand. It's from tilestyle.ie, the home for Porcelain and Osa kitchens in Ireland. We need you to answer this question. What nationality is celebrity chef Nevin Maguire? Is he A, Irish or B, German? You can text the word PLAY and either A or B to 57557. That's 57557. Cost is €2.50 plus your standard message rate to play. You have to be over 18. You're playing across the Goliath network of stations and full terms are on the website, newstalk.com. And you need to get your entry in by 10pm on Monday night. Then we'll randomly pick one entry and it could be you. Now... I'm joined by Conor Lenahan, former Minister for Science, Technology and Innovation, Francis Fitzgerald, uh, FG, or rather Finnegal, to give the party its full title, MEP for Dublin, and Miriam Simon, business strategist, to go through all of the stories making the news this Sunday. And before the break, I might just get, Francis, your view as the former chair of the Women's Council on what uh, Amanda was saying there at the end, Amanda Ferguson was saying at the end of her piece where she was saying that from the perspective of little girls looking at the new devolved assembly to see a situation where you have the top four people in terms of positions of power, Michelle O'Neill, Emma Little-Pengelly, Ashling Riley and Pam Cameron all being women. I would imagine if we cast our minds back to the point where you were chair of the Women's Council it wouldn't have been a lot of smart money that would have said that'll be the government in Northern Ireland. Absolutely. And I think we have six women, six men, uh, 50-50, the same as the European Commission. So it's very striking and I think very uh, it's a good image to project and gives that good message to young girls that, you know, women can be in positions of power. And, uh, you know, I have to say they carried themselves extremely well yesterday. Uh, the, uh, the first uh, minister and the... Uh, certainly the two of them I thought you know did a very good job yesterday and a lot of the language very respectful uh, of each other uh, uh, Michelle O'Neill quoted as saying the days of second class citizenship are long gone today confirms that they're never coming back as an Irish Republican I pledge cooperation and genuine honest effort with those colleagues who are British of a unionist tradition and who cherish the union we will get more uh, reaction to that and the other stories uh, making the news this weekend including Uh, the whereabouts of D Forbes, about which there is much speculation. We'll get that after this break. Just talking there before the break about um, a power sharing returning to Northern Ireland with Michelle O'Neill as the first ever nationalist first minister, particularly notable given that the the original setup of the entire system was to prevent such a thing occurring or at least to make it relatively difficult. We were speaking yesterday to Sinn Féin's finance spokesperson, Pierce Doherty, 
about the events of the weekend and about power sharing returning. Here's what he had to say. We have to remember that the state of Northern Ireland, the Stormont Parliament was created on the basis that there would be a a dominance of uh, unionist rule, an inbuilt majority indefinitely in terms of unionism as it was once proclaimed a Protestant parliament for a Protestant people and today a Republican woman from Tyrone, uh, the Sinn Féin MLA, uh, will be elected as First Minister for the North and I think that is a hugely symbolic departure a hugely symbolic moment for people who during that election of of 2022 in the assembly elections we were meeting on the streets people and they were older who were older who were telling us that they were on their civil rights marches you know they were demanding the right to vote they were demanding the right to housing they were demanding the right to be recognized and respected in the place where they were born into there you go that was pierce doherty speaking to us yesterday conor lenehan is it that significant well, it is significant, as Pierce Doherty rightly said, you know, it, it, the Protestant Parliament for the Protestant people is over. That, that part of our history is now definitively over. I would be slightly more sceptical about the durability of this administration, given how long it, it took to put it together and also the number of stoppages we've had through the peace process. And I, I think, without being disparaging, I think one could say that the political system in Northern Ireland is very dysfunctional uh, to the extent that Geoffrey Donaldson had to persuade his party while people in his own parliamentary party were actually live streaming uh, what should have been a confidential behind the doors meeting, you know, uh, to people outside the room. I think that's deeply dysfunctional. And so, a parliament so that has been I'm, more out than in since it was I'm not up. convinced that there will be necessarily the stability on the DUP side to maintain this going forward because there's quite a significant amount of opposition from within Sir Geoffrey's party to this. So, we, we travel in hope, but uh, frankly, I wouldn't be hugely uh, optimistic that this would actually survive. What about you, Francis? Oh, clearly a day of history, no doubt about it. You know, never envisaged that it would be like this. But I think sighs of relief all around, really, that they're back in to do the work. I mean, huge issues around public services uh, in the north, around health and education and huge need for investment and in infrastructure. So a big job ahead. I hope they will have the resilience to keep going. I think it's interesting that none of Donaldson's, uh, there hasn't been, his leadership has not been questioned uh, during the course of this uh, by the vast majority. Interesting, he's keeping his seat in Westminster and you have this woman that many of us know very little about, Emma Lily Pengeli taking over. Uh, She hasn't been elected this time. She did have some time when she was elected. She's been more an advisor to all the key people in the the DUP. Um, But again, I thought the two speeches yesterday were quite conciliatory from the two women and you would hope that that bodes well. But we do know the history, as Connor says, um, you hope that they will not fall at the first hurdle. Uh, and they have this uh, three billion to help them on their way. And depending on how long they last, it brings the possibility that we could have a female Sinn Féin leader north of the border and south of the border, depending on how things go at the next election. Well, I have to say, I thought that uh, Mary Lou and Lucinda Creighton takes this up in her piece today. Uh, she talks about Sinn Féin snatching defeat from the jaws of victory with the United Ireland boost. I thought that was very inappropriate to to go after that so quickly when you're just getting uh, you're just getting the uh, you know, Stormont up and a, running. If it's at the absolute heart of what you stand for and the, the foundation upon which which your party is built, why wouldn't you? 
because I, I think it, you also have to be sensitive to the issues uh, of, uh, you know, the direction of travel for United Ireland. There is so much work to be done before that. I think Michal Martin's approach to it. I, I don't agree of, with you on that. No, but well, I think well, in, there in terms... You go, there you go. I'm not going to disagree with I think, I think on, Michal Martin's, you know, all-Ireland approach uh, and all of the work that needs to be done north, south, east, west first, I think that's much right. more Connor appropriate. Lennon. Well, I think Mary Lou's perfectly entitled to express the ambition that she has in her heart as every Republican nationalist has in this country to achieve unity. So there's nothing wrong with it. I think we've got to get off the hook of being so politically correct that we have to apologise for our objective aims. Is it political and it's in our constitution. Uh, the aspiration is very much in the constitution since the 1998 agreement it was made. Talk an about as- stirring an, the pot an, an aspira- at the wrong no, time. It's an aspiration. It's not stirring the pot at the right time. I think units know that they have been the cause of the delay of the setting up of this administration. And I think they need to be reminded also that, yes, we do hold our ideals uh, of achieving United Well, I mentioned the that, question about that whether all of these not administrations and agreements indeed. are not just about... I, I mentioned the possibility the of us having uh, a Sinn Féin, uh, a, a top elected official from Sinn Féin north of the border and south of the border. That prospect looked more likely a couple of weeks ago if we go by recent polling. Sunday Independent has done one of its big Ireland thinks where it asks everybody about everything. Uh, Miriam Simon, one of the things it asks about is the state of the parties. And I suppose it's... It, 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 it's unfair to Sinn Féin to say it is not positive from their perspective. They are still by a country mile the most popular party in the uh, nation, but much less so than they were. Well, 1% less so. 1%, uh, 1% Well, if we, if we take the Business Post poll of yesterday, they're down from, I think, 35 to... Ah, OK. Right, so they're down, down seven points yeah, overall. Yeah, this is fair. part of a bit of a that's slide. That's Yeah. Uh, Just sit in on that microphone a little bit, my Oh, yeah. Bit. Interesting times, um, actually, interesting times, uh, according to the polls. But actually, going back to the the, the power sharing, there there was a a great quote that, um, you know, hopefully, um, just to give a bit of a more optimistic slant on it, um, the the quote was, is it the definition of insanity to feel hope this weekend? Um, And pardon my language, as the wider world seems to turn to shite around us, there are two smart women here of a new generation who might be able to book the trend. So we need to bear in mind that the new leadership in the North, these are the Good Friday generation, um, you, you know, generation. So so there well, is ju- hope for optimism there. Just to, to attach the cloud to your silver lining, text arrived in. Welcome Dose of Reality from Conor Lenehan on the North. We've been here before, they'll fall out again, we'll be back to square one. The last thing we need is to be dragged into more Northern Ireland messes just, via a border poll. I just wanted to give you a bit of positive to, to, to counteract that, a bit of positive, so... What about the political uh, poll and what we're seeing? We're seeing, uh, Conor Lennon, your former party, Fianna Fáil on 17%. We'll get to Sinn Féin and why there may be a slight diminution in their support, but there are a lot of people who will be turning in their grave with Fianna Fáil. Oh, that's right. No, no, it's it's not. And look, let's be absolutely clear. Uh, Since Fianna Fáil joined this particular government with uh, Fianna Gael and the Greens, it hasn't been good news. And quite clearly, it must be a source of great concern to the party now as you have an election coming so close. So they're not even bridging the gap with, with Fine Gael, who've been in power for far longer. So I, I wouldn't take much um, uh, solace from that particular poll if I was Fianna Fáil. But having said that, uh, there are, if one looks at the overall shape of these figures uh, in the last few, few months and year, there is a possibility that the lineup of, say, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and or the Greens and Independents 
could get elected. So it's not inevitable and it should never be treated as inevitable that Sinn Féin will be in the next government. Why do you think po- po- the popularity has softened slightly for Sinn Féin the last couple of months? Well, well I think one has to be careful here. I, I wouldn't be pronouncing this is very serious that they're on the decline because yeah. one of the important facts that people have ignored really is that Sinn Féin won 50% of their vote in the context of the election in the last election. So it wasn't won before the election. So because of fragmentation in the political system, and we have a hugely fragmented, it's no longer Fianna Fáil versus the rest. There's a three-party split. I think the fragmentation means that the polls are much less reliable and there would be more volatility. And the proof of the volatility is that Sinn Féin's vote jumped by increased by 50% in the context of the election. Now, previous uh, political scientists used to say that uh, voters made up their mind six to nine months out from an election and that the polls at that phase were definitive and would tell you what the result was. So the campaigns traditionally didn't actually impact. But now we're seeing an era because of volatility yeah. in the electorate well, and that, fragmentation that uh, the, 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 the election itself indeed. will have a difference. And they, it may be to do they, attention they spans question, too. But they hmm? put that question to people in, in one of the surveys where they said, they how certain... So they've asked people how are they going to vote, but then they've said, how certain yeah. are you that you'd vote for the party that you've expressed as being the one that you've chosen? And only 56% of people, so about half of the votes, according to this poll, are up for grabs, depending yeah, on how big, the... Big gains for the independents, though, if you if you look at the poll. You, you know, a really huge swing towards independence, which is, is very telling in itself. You, you have know? to ask yourself, you know, what independence and, you know, whether they will yeah. kind of coalesce together or mm. what are the policies. Mm. So it's kind of an interesting observation, uh, you know, by the, the public that they go for the independence and say, you know, g- give an increased vote there. And it, it could reflect what you were saying, Anton, that 31% who said, you know, actually they, they might change their opinion depending on circumstances. And I, I think people do reset once the election is called. And you asked why would, you know, there's no boost for Sinn Féin this week, despite it being a historic week. I, I mean, I, I think people... I think what is happening with Sinn Féin is their policies are coming under more scrutiny. I think there's more questioning. I think, you know, the overreaction and, and the populist oh, response... Yeah, but let, let's not characterise it like they're having problems. They're still one and a half times the popularity of Fine Gael. Yes, I mean, they, they have been doing well, but they're definitely going down from that high of 30, the 30s. They're down, you know, lower than they were. Um, so I think that may well be a trend that could continue. And who knows about the election? People do begin to focus much more on economic policies and what parties are saying, you know, what what impact does electing X or Y have on our economic stability, our international reputation? All of these issues are going to be much more to the fore during an election campaign. Well, before I let you in, Connor, because I, I had a text of, of enthusiastic agreement with the point that you had made, so I should balance things up politically. <laughs> Anton, I totally agree with Francis with it being inappropriate for Mary Lou to talk of referendums on United Ireland. It was pure electioneering, hijacking an historic event in Northern Irish politics, not the time or the place. <laughs> There you are, there you are. There you go. Well, look, (laughs) (laughs) the thing that's quite interesting about Ireland and makes it very, very different uh, from any other system, and maybe this is a problem why the opinion polls aren't always reflective of what's actually going to happen, is that I think it was Albert Reynolds, whom I did a a biography on, uh, said that an Irish election is 41 by-elections, that you have individual and individual candidates. And, you know, that's why independents are also becoming popular, because if 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 kind of if there's a breakdown in trust for the the main political parties, then 
the next resort is independence. We'll put somebody in to, to represent and of course our locality. It's, it's all about coalition building now, right across yeah, Europe. I, you know, it's yeah. all about the negotiations after an election because, you know, the outright wins don't seem to be happening very much anymore. Well, can I ask then about the underlying issues that may be influencing all of this? Because for a nation that for a long time, for decades, if not centuries, sort of prided ourselves in looking at sepia tones in the diaspora that we had sent to dig the canals across Liverpool and to lay railroads across um, North America. We have an interesting view about immigration, according to this poll. Miriam, they they were asked, uh, would you consider voting for a party or candidate who holds strong anti-immigration views? And you have only just over half say no, 11% not sure, and 35% say, absolutely, yes, I would. You surprised? Um, well, um, based on the news over the last few weeks, maybe not so much. Like, on according to the Ireland Thinks poll, like, the biggest issues, you know, housing remains the top issue at... at uh, at 50, even though that's gone down a few points. But immigration is the biggest growth there. Immigration, 33% of people. One third cited, saying, I vote a third. anti-immigration. Yeah, and, and that's up eight points. And actually is ahead of the cost of living being uh, high. So so the, I think the, the top three issues were housing at 50%, immigration 33% and cost of living at 28%. Cost of living, that's no change from the last poll a month ago. Um, the the um, worries over housing had decreased, but immigration up eight. Uh, so they, it's they obviously a, very high on people's worry. They and ask a, a subsequent question to it, a sort of subsidiary, which is, it, it's an interesting phrasing of, of question, but it effectively mm. says, if we gave you a few quid, would we, you'd be happy to have refugees living near you? So it says, would you accept a refugee centre in your area if it also came with additional funding for amenities and services. So not, would you accept a refugee centre? Would Absolutely. you accept a little bribe to take a refugee centre? One out of three people say, nope, not a chance. Yeah, wow. 4% say yes. Well, I think that's a hard thing of, I mean, again, I, the, the thing that worries me really is not so much that, that uh, concern is at a third now. My concern is actually the political establishment have been caught almost entirely unawares that this was a, a phenomenon on the street. And so I think one of the yeah. problems here is this society wants to put labels on people who raise immigration, say, like, you're far right. We're, we never seem to talk about the far left. And, you know, a lot of the far left are actually in the doll rather than outside the doll. But the point I'm making is that we're far too quick to sort of label people racist uh, when they actually raise the immigration issue as a substantial issue. And it's not, it's not just in Ireland. It's all over Europe. OK, well, hang on for a minute, because in, in, interestingly, Kevin Cunningham writing beside that piece has a thing saying a third of voters would support a party with anti-immigration views. In 2022, people wanted more refugees coming into the country in the same poll. And Francis Fitzgerald had a very furrowed brow during what Conor Lennon was saying. <laughs> Francis, I'll get you to expand on that after we take this break. And we were discussing the Ireland Thinks poll in the Sunday Independent. And one of the questions was, would you consider voting for a party or candidate who holds strong anti, anti-immigration views? A third of people say, yep, sure I would. Would you accept a refugee centre if you got additional monies in your area as a sweetener? I'm paraphrasing. One out of three people say, no, I'm not taking refugees, even if we got... Uh, such a sweetener and the the piece beside it by Kevin Cunningham saying a third of voters now support parties or would support parties with emigra- anti-immigration views in 2022 people wanted more refugees what's happened in the year and a half intervening? Well it's fascinating isn't it to see yeah. that change and I think there is still huge sympathy and empathy indeed with all of the people who've, who've come in uh, particularly from Ukraine um, and also 
you know, there's, there is a sympathy and an understanding, but I think we've come through a very difficult couple of weeks in relation to the discussion on immigration. We've had criminal activity, which has been absolutely appalling. We've had yep. places burnt down. Uh, we've had, you know, really dreadful <coughs> things happening. But, but what's driving look, it? Is, is it racism? Is it, is it lack of services? Is I it think it's a combination. I think we were protected from the whole migration, immigration debate for years uh, when I was minister, I remember making a decision at a 2015 Council of Ministers where we took in four and a half thousand refugees when we were, you know, to help Italy and Greece who were dealing with that big, big influx at that time. Now we've over 100,000 uh, Ukrainians and we have a big jump in the asylum seekers. So I think the country is now facing the debate that has happened all over mainland Europe and that's why we're going to have a migration but this goes to the point that you made during the break, yeah. Miriam. We also have full employment and we're we struggling have, we, to find we, we people We need to do more people. Yeah, <laughs> this is the irony. More. I mean, right across Europe, you have people talking about the problems with migration and yet we've nobody to look after our young, nobody to look after our elderly. We need more and more, you know, probably through legal routes is the key, more legal visas. But there's an interesting one here as well, Anton. You know, do you think people who come here are generally bad for the economy and society are generally good? 57% say generally good and you have 18% generally bad and 22% neither. So it's a debate in progress. Connellana? Well, one of the big problems here is that, I mean some of the panelists here have been saying, oh yeah, we have to have them, you know, they have to come in. But we actually have to think much longer and harder in this country and all over Europe about how we rebuild our population. Like, we're unusual, we're at 2.1, we're close enough to 2.1% birth rates. But we need to work harder on this and we need to look at family policy. How do we help people to form families? Because there's also a problem happening behind all of the European and global and developed world statistics where the level of actually childlessness yeah. is increasing. And that's yeah. a huge problem. It's a massive problem. You can't, you can't say no to immigration if you're not as a population producing in a productive fashion, if you want to, for want of a better word, enough children to replace your population. And that's, that's the more serious issue that An interesting the policymakers should look yeah. at in terms of do we consolidate and help people to have children? Uh, to meet those challenging figures and statistics. I want to move on to a, a story that I, this, if ever there is a hardy perennial, we're into month seven of there always being an issue every week relating to RTE. And uh, this weekend's <coughs> issue is the hunt for D Forbes because the front of the mail on Sunday says D Forbes regret at her return to Ireland. And inside they say that the former director general of RTE wishes she hadn't returned to Ireland to take the job in the first place. And the Business Post has on the front page Matt Cooper's um, take on it, which is Forbes must account for RTE disaster. It has to be said, Miriam, it is unusual for somebody in a position as (coughs) senior, as director general of uh, the state broadcaster, to simply disappear in the teeth of a crisis like this, even if they have resigned. Uh, yeah, I think it is. I, I think I think from from what I can see, um, she hasn't been very well. I don't I don't know her. I'm not a friend of D Forbes. Can I just say for the record? So I I do think she hasn't been very well. Um, I do think that um, this is uh, the gift that keeps on giving from a story point of view. I think it's a um, it's a, a turn of phrase that was given in during the summer that is is now coming up. I don't know. I'm a bit bored. Of all, I'm really bored. So let of, me ask the two politicians in the room yeah. then. If you were sitting on the media committee or the public accounts committee, would you accept her continued refusal, albeit on medical grounds, to attend at the committees? I think if it's on medical grounds, you're not left with very much choice. But I mean, this so that was the mistake that John Delaney made in the FAI. <laughs> he should have been ill. 
Well, yeah. look, you, you can't question if people are putting in, you know, uh, medical evidence that she really is not well enough to come before the committee. Of course, everybody would like to hear her yeah. side of the story. But this story that's uh, here today, this is about a comment she made some weeks ago to a colleague that she regretted giving up her career abroad. I'm sure she does when you see what's happened. Mm-hmm. And just to take Miriam's point, I mean, if we have to see RTE interviewing RTE anymore about what's happening in RTE, I think really you would hope that it would come to a finality sometime in the very near future. Well, hang on just a minute. We have a situation (laughs) where the state broadcaster spent two million quid without proper governance on an absolute white elephant tobacco where they're doing deals for redundancies that don't follow the system and where they're involved in a scheme to hide from the public scrutiny monies being paid to their top star. It's worthy of comment, no? Of course it is. And it has been, Anton. That's the whole point. There has been so much comment. And there is meant to be, and hopefully there is, new governance in place and new regulation. And we're assured that this will never happen again and more public scrutiny of various contracts and so on. So all of that seems to be put in place. But of course it's worthy. But if the main character uh, who was, you know, in charge is not appearing anywhere and can't give its unfinished business, obviously. Look, I think there's a certain amount of hounding going on here, and I think it's yeah. a bit unfair. I, I look, I don't know the woman; I never met her, uh, but I think there's kind of a media ritual hounding going on here. Like the issues of RT management can be addressed with or without D Forbes appearing before some dull committee. I, I really, I think it's a kind of work of vanity to say somehow if we get our dragoon D Forbes yeah. before the committee, we're now somehow going to get all the answers about the dysfunctionality and the expenses and God knows what was going on in RT. There's a few more reports to come as well. The Moody Moody (laughs) visits and whatever else they were doing, you know. I think that's kind of naive in the extreme. We don't really need D Forbes. We know already from months and months of coverage and months and months of different committees in the Dáil. Actually, I'd rather see the dog committees come up with a report now rather quickly instead of dragging this out ad yeah. infinitum, you know. I mean, I'm not saying that to defend RT. They are an important institution in our cultural and, and I think, public I think, life. But, yeah. but we, we don't Very need to drag this out forever, you know. I, I, I think RT need some serious rebranding now. I, I think <laughs> they need uh, some serious rebranding now. But I think with every, uh, whenever there's a big payout, it's a, obviously always going to drag it all back up but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm just. While you're talking, Miriam, you pointed out earlier on that today is a significant anniversary of Global Note that we shouldn't let go uncommented upon. It it actually is. It is Facebook's birthday today. Facebook turned twenty today. Uh, um, yes. So and uh, I thought uh, really interesting actually that last week, um, the week before their twentieth birthday. They reported the best financial results they've had in many years. So uh, their actual revenue was up 25% last year. So, um, yes, um, Facebook. Force for good, force for ill. Oh, so things that Facebook are um, have given us over the years. Um, first of all, uh, really fast growing, can I just say. They, in their very first year, they, they had over a million followers. Bear in mind, they were l- launched as the Facebook um, in, in Harvard in a, in a dorm to, to, to get girls, basically, by um, a load of nerds to get girls. I'm not sure it was even to get them. I think it was simply to rank them in the resignation that they were unable to get them. Yeah, that's even seedier. That's even seedier. But oh, over the years, uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal we've had. Um, 
Um, there, there is a lot of suggestions of the mental health impact, and and actually, um, they've changed social media game totally. So it was MySpace before Facebook come, came along, and now Meta, who own Facebook, they also own WhatsApp, they own Instagram. Um, our personal data that we put out there is now not personal and is very highly valuable. And um, the internet became political. As well, a it's interesting if you if you cast your mind. 10 years back, 15 years back, 20 years back, back when Facebook was move fast, break things and we were all told that we should aspire to their system yeah. of management. You wouldn't have thought that you'd have appearance like you had this week where Mark Zuckerberg was in front of the US Congress where he was told, and I, I think I have the phrase exactly, that he had blood on his hands. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. And so you didn't take any action. You didn't take any action. You didn't fire anybody. You haven't compensated a single victim. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? Would you like to do so now? Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? Things that your families have suffered. And this is why we invested so much. And are going to continue doing industry big efforts to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. And just to explain that the audio, uh, the reason the, the audio is bad at that point is because Mark Zuckerberg stands up, turns around to face families who are holding up pictures of their dead children and he apologises to them for inadequate protections in terms of online abuse and all of the rest of it. Connor, Well, it's all a bit late in, in my yep. uh, view of things Stable because, you know, many of the founders of Facebook have been gone public to say that they don't let their own children on social media Absolutely. and it is very damaging it isolates people far from gaining more friends by having Facebook friends a leading MIT study done over 12 years ago points out that you become more isolated and have less friends Francis, you're less oh, yes. I mean so, very robust yeah. questioning straight talking uh, by the American politicians very striking but of course they had the parents there of children who'd been bullied and committed suicide who you know terrible things happening like we have Coco's Law here because of a similar sort of incident so I think the whole question of online safety for you know for teens for young people particularly but of course it, it affects adults as well we see yeah. that with the political harassment that goes on but I mean really we're only we're only at the beginning of examining the online safety issues and we have a lot of work to do and, and just to, to, to add so, so Meta are, are doing very well revenue up 25% last year but the, there are 3 billion users on those platforms on a monthly basis so two thirds of the internet connected world go on to those services. The power that that gives one the company. Power the power that that gives Incredible. one company. Before I let you all go, after the uh, news, we are going to be talking to Kenny Jacobs, the DAA CEO, about the issues that are outlined in the front of the business post. Putting brake on Dublin Airport risks economic future. This is Michael McGrath being quoted about the um, possible incapacity of Dublin Airport to grow. Where do you all stand? This is now going before a, a planning permission um, hearing to decide whether or not can, Dublin can grow. And the Greens are up in arms. Francis, first of all, should Dublin Airport be allowed to raise its cap and grow in the current setting? Oh, I believe it should. I mean, aviation's doing a lot of work to try and reduce emissions, a lot of new technology coming into play. I think the development of our infrastructure is absolutely essential if the economic growth is to continue. Um, it's essentially a planning decision now. 
But I, I think it's right to point out the consequences uh, of a cap and uh, they could be very serious for the country. Tourism, Lennon, business, what about everything else. The carbon impact, what about traffic? What well, about the people who live near it? I don't think Dublin Airport can keep growing endlessly. They have the same problem with Heathrow down the line, much bigger global hub. I think we should have thought, and we should have thought seriously many years ago, about setting up another airport to take pressure out of Dublin, you know, and that, that would be my instinct that... Uh, well, we've actually closed some airports, have we not? No, but I think there's a need for, for instance, um, we shouldn't have private jets in Dublin Airport. We shouldn't have smaller yeah. aircraft. And they should be, the first thing should be to move them out. I'd say if, if Michael O'Leary could get a 737 into Weston, he'd have it bought in a heartbeat. Yeah. Miriam, final uh, words to you, Dublin Airport's expansion or not? Um, just, uh, you, you know, we're... There, there are other airports that have closed and there is maybe an opportunity to look at how the, the whole face of aviation across Ireland is managed. Well, we will be asking Kenny Jacobs then after the news whether or not it would be better to shunt aircraft towards Shannon or Waterford or Belfast now that we're all ecumenical or whatever it might be. Um, a big thank you to Miriam Simon, business strategist, Francis Fitzgerald, Finnegale MEP for Dublin and Conor Lenehan, former Minister for Science, Technology and Innovation. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PwC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.